Welcome to the Journey of an Aesthete podcast, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. To the journey of an aesthete. Um, this is a special show indeed. Um, let me allow me to explain. Um, if you recall my uh, interview show with Shmriti Shankar, I said to her, "You know what?" I said to her, "I would love on my show to have," and I was using it as an example off of the top of my head, a football quarterback on my show or somebody that does something in that field that line of work because I said I love to talk to people not only people who are inspiring whatever their field is doesn't matter the field as long as they're inspiring and they've accomplished a lot but also somebody that's chosen a very different path in life than I've chosen I've never been a football quarterback I've never, I'm no jock I've never had anything to do with anything like that but I would love to talk to somebody like that well lo and behold we have today a, a genuine real athlete and uh, this is Doug Curtis Hello, Doug. Hi, Mitch. Uh, Doug Curtis uh, has done so much in running. It's pretty remarkable. Um, we're going to talk about his, his career, uh, not only his personal life and how he came to be the runner he is, um, but also other things he's done. Because you've had, am I right, that you've had uh, many careers, many hats? I wore, as Like you, Mitch, I like to wear hats, so I have yeah. many of them. <laughs> right. So... I mean, I'm looking at, at your information here. Now, you've done, at, 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 in, in the year 2013, you had already done 200 marathons That's in correct. three hours, correct? Under three hours. Under three hours. Under three hours. Under three hours, 200 <laughs> marathons. Um, and your 200th was in your hometown of Detroit, correct? That's Detroit correct. Detroit Free Press. Took me three tries. I <laughs> ran Boston, then one of my favorite marathons, Grandma's Marathon up in Detroit, or up in uh, Duluth, Minnesota. It was just really hot weather, so it turned out that I did it at home. And I was happy that it, it, it worked out that way, because all my friends and my family and my running club members you know, were all there to cheer me on, and it was just a really great experience. I mean, yeah, so we could talk about Detroit because, as you know, I went to Interlochen Arts Academy, Michigan, Traverse City, and this was in the mid-'80s, and every day I read the paper there. That was back when people read paper, newspapers and there were newspaper bins, you know, and all that, and back in, back in the analog age, and, uh, and I would read something called the Detroit Free Press just because it was there. So you're connected with the Detroit Free Press as well, right? In, a, in several ways. I was okay. the race director. I completely changed the race around back in, actually 20 years ago, 1999, I became the director. Um, what did you change? What was it before? And then what does that mean when you say you changed? So what it? happened, um, well, for one, I was on an advisory committee, just to kind of give you a backstory. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was throwing throwing the committee a ton of ideas because mm -hmm. I'd been all over the world running marathons. So I'd see, I saw what could be done and I wanted to make some of those changes in Detroit, but the organization was really, their job was putting on the Grand Prix in Detroit. Yeah. So this was just kind of a side summer job and they didn't really care about running. Hmm. And so I finally walked into the offices. I knew the former director who was an executive at the free press 
And I told Barbara Benage was her name. And I said, Barbara, you know, if they're not going to at least entertain some of my ideas, what's the point of me being on this committee? And she said, well, I got a better idea. Why don't you take over the race? And I'm like, really? And she said, yeah, really. So I went back to my boss at Ford Motor Company and I talked to some my people I worked with at Ford. And I said, if you can give me the flexibility you know, in my job, I'll, I'll put on this event. And they said, absolutely. They were very, they, they liked their employees involved in the community. And I said, this is going to be something really, really good for the community of Detroit if you let me do this. And they said, absolutely, go do it. And the first year I instituted like 20 different new ideas. The biggest one was p having the run go over the Ambassador Bridge, which is a privately owned bridge. So the race used to start in Windsor, Canada. And all the runners got bussed over to the to that area, oh. and I said, "There's no way we can grow this race and bust." Can you imagine today trying to bust? You couldn't do it. Twenty thousand people being bussed over to the bridge, and back then there was only three thousand runners. Um, so my first year, I had the race. I bugged the bridge people for about six months, and and they said, "Well, we're working on the bridge." And I said, "I figured it out." I said, "You're always working on the bridge. You start at one end, you go to the other, and you start over." <laughs> you know. So then I brought in some big guns. I got the publisher of the free press and then that's the owner fantastic. the owner of great the, paper by the yeah, way it's I a mean, great paper all, yeah yeah and and I'll, I'll we'll talk about later but i was i was a writer too for the free press that's right you were so, journalist for the yeah yeah press. i did a weekly sports column. writer yeah sports writer weekly column but but anyway yeah, yeah. I, I got the owner of the detroit tigers i wanted the race to finish because it was going to be the last year the tigers were playing in the stadium and i said hey can we use the stadium and they said well it's owned by the city if the city says mm. yes so they said okay and i had the runners come in from the outfield yeah. uh cross the, the finish line was at first base and then you had a finish shoot that crossed home plate mm -hmm. and i wished back then i'd had a video camera because the coolest thing to watch was the runners would be kind of hobbling past the finish line, but they'd see the home plate mm -hmm. and they would slide across hmm. the home plate after they had finished 26.2 wow. miles. But once I did that, the race doubled. The numbers went from 3,000 to 6,000. And now really one of the highlights of the marathon is running over the bridge into Canada because that's right at dawn. So you mm. see it, you know, it's the sun coming up in both sides of the borders and it's just a beautiful experience going over the bridge. So that's remarkable. So you basically uh, uh, changed the culture. Would you put it that way? Changed yeah. the culture of that yeah. particular we, race. Yes. And then we added more events. So that mm -hmm. race went from 3,000. Now this year they had 27,000 people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back years ago where people might think of running as, you know, an elite sport and, mm -hmm. and now your average person off the street, some people that could literally run, not even run around their block three years later are, are running a marathon. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of my favorite columns to write, I had a greenie, what I would call the greenie column. So I stole this idea from Las Vegas, but first time marathoners get a green number. Uh -huh. And so everybody knows them as the greenies. So when you see them going, running on the course, you yell, hey, first timer, you're wearing a green number. So I would write this column and I would interview about 30 or 40 people and narrow it down to about 10 that had really good stories. Oh, that's and beautiful. I, and I would, and it was an amazing. Man, I'd love to hear it just a, one of those stories now. I don't know what comes yeah. to your mind about that. Or well, what. I'll tell you one simple yeah. one. This woman, um, she was uh, assistant athletic director at Eastern Michigan University, and mm -hmm. she decided she wanted to run a marathon. You know, she's in the world of sports and said, you know, I should mm -hmm. be able to do a marathon. So, running around Ypsilanti, you know, she, she was a little hesitant at night to go running on the road. So, she decided she'd run on the track. But to do, let's say, a 10-mile run, trying to keep track of your laps was, mm -hmm. you know, really difficult to do. So what she would do she, with her jacket, she'd put, like, 
25 or 30 popcorn kernels in her in her little satchel there and every time she'd finish a lap she'd throw out a, a popcorn kernel so by the time you know she's oh i'm on my last kernel she knew she had done her last lap if it was 30 laps or whatever you know and, wow. I, and I thought that was a great story that is a great story i mean in fact getting ready for you this show i went on a binge watching movie binge watching marathon and i'll tell you the names of the pictures i watched Second Wind, you know this film with James Naughton, 1976? Okay. Uh, See How She Runs with Joanne Woodward? I remember that one. And Running with Michael Douglas. Yeah. And <laughs> that makes you laugh, that one. Yeah. That was one of the worst running movies I've seen. <laughs> really? And it's funny because, you know, and people can't see me, but... Um, Are you in that movie? No, but... About once a week, people stop me on the street and they think that I look like Michael Douglas. So I get that all. I get it all the time. It's pretty funny. That's why I mentioned that. uh, But there are a few, I mean, like Chariots of Fire. I mean, there are a few really well done. In fact, there actually was a movie last year, um, Brittany Runs a Marathon, you know, that was done in New York. I like that picture. Yeah, and that actually was pretty good. Really good. So, yeah. Really good. But I was just talking about more, you know, kind of older pictures or, you know, these are you know, Second Wind is a Canadian film, yeah. I think. I don't yeah. know if you've seen it. It's Lindsay Wagner and no, but I'll James Naughton. But what's great about it is that the character James Naughton, and that happens a lot in the plot, is that he, he gets the bug. He becomes a runner and he's training and like the whole world's against him. The boss is against him. The wife, Lindsay Wagner, doesn't understand why are you doing this? Why are you wasting your time and all this? Got to. It's almost like the adversity, right? People not understanding yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. They're doing something difficult that they think is too hard to do. Yeah, and this yeah. this man has a trainer in the film, you know, and his trainer's older, of course, uh, um, and has been around, a crusty sort of figure, and it's great watching this little movie because right. at the end he runs the marathon. It was, so it's sort of overcoming, I guess the plot is a person finding, having a vision, having a dream, and realizing that dream in the face of adversity, people not understanding what they're doing. And... Um, that gets us to your biography, because on my show, I like to do what I call linear chronology, which means we're going to start from the very beginning before you were an athlete. Maybe you were always an athlete. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But talk about how you became the runner that you are, or that you became, what, the, what that, um, were you always an, a, a physically active I person? Was, I was always physically active. I was in a neighborhood with a ton of kids, and we were always, yeah. you know, not like today where everything's organized. You know, we just get a whole <laughs> group of kids together and go out and play baseball in the park, you know, mm-hmm. or a football game or mm-hmm. hockey because, you know, we're up in Michigan. And yeah. so I always played sports. You know, I played base. I didn't know I was a runner till my junior year of high school. Mm. Um, I played a lot of other sports up until that point. What did you play now, but hockey? Uh, no, I played baseball. baseball. Uh, yeah, I was, and uh, I tried to play basketball. I was, you know, just okay. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it was one of those 10-minute runs in gym class. And the, the coach said, oh, you know what? I beat everybody. And the coach said, oh, you should be run out for the track team. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the track coach was actually the football coach, too. <laughs> Speaking of football. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he said, well, we've already started the season. Can you come back next year? <laughs> so I missed a whole season of track my sophomore year because the coach didn't ha- – he had no clue that I had this talent. Mm-hmm. You know? And by my senior year of high school, I was an all-state runner. Mm-hmm. And then I went from that to Michigan State where – I started out as the worst guy on the team. I finished last. I finished last my first cross country race. What year would have that been? That would have been seven, 1970. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the cross country season was 1970. And again, I just thought, well, you know, we were Big Ten champs, so I was on a really good team, you know, and I hung on for two years and, and I did okay, but 
I still, I did not know I had the talent. To you run didn't marathons. know, even though you were doing it. Yeah. No, when you make that statement, I did not know I had the talent. What does that actually? And I mean the mean? talent to run marathons. So, oh, okay. So my senior year, I was playing other sports too. I was yeah. running, I was skiing. Um, I was doing like intramural football, and it and, sounds like you have a lot of talent if you're doing football and doing yeah, all this just skiing. you know playing racquetball, you yeah. know, you know, and, and so anyway, my senior, my. I, I, I roomed with a, in a house like 50 guys, a co-op oh house. My God. And this one guy had run the Boston Marathon, and wow. he said, you know what, let's all go run the Boston Marathon this year. So like six of us all hopped in a car and went out to Boston. Was that 71? <laughs> 74. 74, oh, wow. So back then, you didn't have all the knowledge of running a marathon that you know, compared to back then. And... and so I got in. The, I got to Boston. I didn't have a great pair of shoes, so I thought I'd put an extra thick pair of socks on that might give me more cushioning. Yeah. And then my friends like, "Well, we don't want to start in the back, you know." And back then, Boston had about two thousand runners, and that was the biggest marathon in the country at That's the time. Right. And so, so I started out the race. The first ten miles of Boston are all downhill out of out of Hopkinton. And they still do it out of Hopkinton. They still yeah. finish at Hopkinton. Start yeah. at Hopkinton. Yeah. And so I got blisters really bad, both feet. And I took my shoes off, and I'm running. Here I'm only at mile 10, and I'm running in my socks. And, and I went into a drugstore because, you know, they have all these little villages. And I they saw do. a drugstore. I ran in the drugstore. I looked yeah. at I saw the druggist. Yeah. I said, I got blisters. Can you help me? He goes, yeah. So he, he took care of my blisters, taped my feet up, put yeah. some Dr. Scholl pads in yeah. my shoes, and I got back in the race. And then with about three miles to go, we could hear the screaming behind us. I caught a friend of mine, actually, from Michigan State. So we were running together. Mm. We could hear all the screaming behind us. And the, the crowds in Boston are amazing anyway. And they yeah. really scream loud, um, especially by Wellesley College. Mm. But anyway, we could hear the yeah. screaming. And we look back, and it's the first woman. And my friend's like, well, I'm not getting beat by a woman. So he takes off on me. And I, it turned out I finished right in front of her at the finish line. She was, so my picture's in the paper the next day, you know. But even with Did all, you ever get to socialize with her? At the, at, uh, at, at later like a, on, later I got on? to meet a lot of the famous, yeah. you know, Boston Marathon so runners. So that, that, um, that was in 74. So 74. let me go backtrack just a slightly a little bit. Yeah. What kind of training are you doing personally every day to get ready for something like this throughout? So what is your... Uh, workout regimen or what or over yeah. the weeks or months when you're so yeah so the typical? early days again I had no knowledge of how to really train for marathon so my first one I thought I'd never do another one after that I was so cramped yeah. up I thought well, why am I doing this to myself you know uh, but then you realize you know a week later and many athletes the first time they do a marathon think how exciting the whole experience oh, was yeah. so later on you realize well I can get through that pain and you'd learn to train better and I would run that time I was probably running 35 40 miles a week wow you know not every day you know and then I slowly built it up to like 60 miles a week you know, and then when I started seriously training, I was running, you know, 90 miles a week. 90 miles a week. Yeah. Were you doing any weight training at that time? No, no weight training. And, no, and no, no, stretching, no stretching. No stretching either. No, no calisthenics? <laughs> no. Is that because no. people were, weren't as aware of that back then? Is that it? Then um, compared to now? Or is no, that... I think... I, I, my wife would say I'm a freak of nature and that uh -huh. I have this gift that I can... I've never really been injured from running marathons. I mean, minor stuff where I'd be out for a week or two and that was it. So nothing that really held me back. And so some people, I, I think, tend to overstretch, you know, and... 
the only thing today at 67 years old is I'm not as flexible. And if I, I suppose if I had done, you know, yoga or Pilates or something, mm-hmm. I might be a little more flexible today. Um, but, but as far as running goes, no, I think spending all my time, I would take my time warming up. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't push too hard. I never, I was never going trying to run like PR personal records. My goal was always to be more consistent. So I, I think that helped me in that I was not overtraining. I wasn't pushing my body to the, to the maximum. I was going more for consistency than rather the, you know, you know, cause I've seen many elite athletes that might last four or five years and they're done because they just couldn't handle all that stress. And I, oh. it was never my intent. You know, I was lucky I had a full-time job and it, it, I wasn't doing it to make money. Interesting. So. Was that was it Detroit or in Detroit? Yeah. 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 So this 74, 75, would that have been the time Jim Fix wrote his big major book? Yeah. He, it would have been around that in the yeah. seven. It was in the seventies. Yeah. And Frank Shorter, you know, was like the big name back then because okay. he had won the 72 Olympics in Munich and then yep. silver at, at, in Montreal. And I know Did you get to meet him. Yeah, oh yeah. I've met him numerous times. In fact, he, he later on in his life, he said, I wish I, he could do what I did. Uh, really? Run, running all the sub two twenties. He said yeah. he wish he could be. Yeah. Because be he, he, same thing. he, yeah, he did. He actually did say that. He, he said he got to a point where, he had pushed his body so much he couldn't do it anymore. And so, I mean, he still struggles a bit physically because he pushed his body to the max. You know, and those guys, he ran with a whole group out of University of Florida where they were running 130, 140 miles a week. You know, Well, it's really funny because one of my favorite uh, trumpeters of all time is Freddie Hubbard. And Freddie Hubbard overplayed. He played, I don't know, too long or too many gigs and bust his lip permanently sometime in the 1990s. Well, you knew that about Louis Armstrong, too. Same thing. But what's interesting is that um, he wasn't able to play like he did. Nothing was ever the same. He continued to tour, but he didn't have the same facility. And that's interesting. Sometimes great artists or or athletes will push it to the limit. It will, you know, kind of, that happens, right? That's part of it. You see it all the time. Yeah. All the time. You know, there's a lot of news right now about the Nike project that has Mm. been disbanded. And Alberto Salazar, who was one of the top runners in the world at one time and coaching, pushing these girl women to the extreme and mm. they just couldn't handle that kind of stress. So, so but I did it cause it was fun. I, I, I mean, I, so you I did it for competing. the love of it. Basically. I did it cause I love doing it. And I, and I, and, I, and it, Gave me lots of opportunities to, especially to travel, and, and I, and as you, so what comes to, have you discovered? I love meeting people. You know, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, uh, Mitch and I, by the way, we yeah. we, we we really so connected we, at the library. You yeah, know, by having we a great conversation. Yeah. You know? So what? So what was the um, places you were traveling at that time? You said travel internationally, or so I started traveling internationally in the eighties. Okay, and it's kind of thing. It's like. You know, you network. Yeah. So I would meet people. I I, at the, I started originally starting running with Adidas, and Adidas oh, okay. gave us the opportunity to, like, to go to Honolulu Marathon. And, yep. and through another teammate, he said, "Hey, do you want to go to Stockholm?" And that kind of like, wow, wow, I can travel to Europe. You know, I'd never been to any place oh, like fantastic. that in my life, and that kind of opened doors. And how old would you have been at that time? <laughs> so I was twenty-seven. 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 Yeah. Wow. 80s, and that's close to your Olympic experience, isn't it? Yeah, so my first... Are we getting... Do we we want to jump into that now, or is it back... No, Let's take our time with it. Okay, we take your time, yeah. So you're training, and you're you're doing in the early 80s, you're working for Adidas in terms of... What, in terms of athletic... uh, uh, Representing their... their, uh, Footwear, or their... their... Yeah, so their footwear. Okay. So, uh, So they would... You know, I mean, I had races that would pay my expenses to go. Oh, excellent. But if, if they didn't cover it, Adidas would take care of it. Oh, and they didn't handle all my equipment. 
Um, and then later, I actually did end up running for Nike, and Nike oh, interesting. paid me bonuses. So if I won a oh. race, I'd get a bonus. Or if I run under two hours and 20 minutes, I'd get a bonus, those kind of things. So If you had to compare Adidas and Nike, and, and, um, what would you – any thoughts that come to mind about differences or similarities or um, just the two You know, two there's so many good shoe companies now, and, and I think hmm. – I, you know, and in fact, New Balance is one of my sponsors now with some okay. of the events that I work on, and and they all make great. I think they all make great shoes. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just, but it's a question of finding what fits your physique. Um, I'll toss in one thing. You know, that you'll see like runners where would say, "Here's the perfect form," which I don't buy into at all. I think everybody's got an unusual makeup, and so they may run. If you were to look, say, the top ten. Olympic trials or even Olympic marathon finishers, they all have a different form. Hmm. Uh, there's there's a form that, there's a form that may look good, you know, just like baseball, where you'll see oh, a hitter that there's hitting form looks perfect, which you would say looks perfect. Visually, that doesn't mean it's perfect. You know that 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 one that won't make him a 300 hitter. You know, and yeah. running's the same way. You'll see him every different form, but. But a certain shoe may work out better for you than others, and and hopefully you go to a, a running store where these guys are fitting runners every day, and they'll see, oh, here's the kind of shoe that's going to fit your particular running style, you know. And I always tell people if they if they find a shoe that works for them, buy two pair, you know, because right. they change so often. Plus, I think it's good to change your shoe a lot, sure. you know, and let them dry out. And well, it's interesting because you so you're in the '80s now, and you're starting to have a sense of yourself, right? Yeah, as having abilities, as yeah. being. So when did that first strike you? Like you, I'm on my way. I'm I'm ready to do the Olympics. Or what? What? How did that uh, come about? Well, what happened? Actually, a, kid, a guy at work who was a, actually a wrestler at huh. Michigan State. He oh, said, wow. "I'll help coach you." He said, "I think you really have the talent." You were coached it, by a wrestler. By a wrestler. But isn't Michigan State known for their wrestling? Yeah, they are. They had a, yeah, they still Iowa are. and Michigan yeah, State. That. Yeah, very good. Iowa yeah. and Michigan State had really great wrestlers. Yeah. So he knew how to train. And he said, all right, well, I'm going to help you train. And he, he had a good friend that was a uh, senior broker at a brokerage firm. He says, We're, I'm going to get you a sponsor so you can run the New York City Marathon. Wow. You know? And this was back in 1980. Wow. So in fact, 78, 79. So leading oh. up to 1980. So in 80, he said, you know, we're going to get you Olympic trials. And, and he did. And I did the right amount, right kind of training to get there. And I'm one of only five guys that have qualified for Olympic trials five times so you're in you're in rare company, I'm then, rare company. So, but yeah. that kind of set the wheels in motion that i i knew i had some talent but when i made the olympic trials that kind of changed everything where okay uh, and there was back then even the early 80s there wasn't really a lot of prize money involved so it's like all right how much time and do i want to invest yeah. in something that i'm going to get a little tiny medal for <laughs> you know <laughs> so so, but then the door started open for travel. And then once I saw I was going to get opportunities to travel all over the place, then that changed everything. Then there was some incentive for me to work hard. So if you're um, in the 80s, you said late 70s, were you... Yeah. Did you ever go out dancing in addition to all this athletic activity during the day or you know, go to the disco? Or, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, were you, so, so is it, I don't know anything about this. I mean, I dance for pleasure, but I'm never yeah. studying. But are, are, do runner, marathon runners make good dancers or is there any correlation? Well, here's something. Here's a funny story. So Boston's a good example. Boston's the kind of course that beats you up. You know, it's a, I think it's a fast course if you run yeah. it smart. But when you're done, because of all the mix of uphill and downhills, um, you're beat up after you're done. But there's always a post-race party that night. That's right. And I've seen runners that you were... You mean at the disco? And yeah. So I've seen runners that were hobbling around after the race, but they're out dancing that night. 
So where, where do you met? Did you was this mostly in Michigan or wherever you were, or just I yeah, guess where, yeah, yeah, mostly Michigan, you know, Detroit. Yeah. So yeah, and actually, I think in some ways, you know, it loosened you up. You know, huh. you're moving, you're moving, you're doing some. So I think dancing in some ways could help you to, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was you were doing something a little bit different than running straight forward. Um, what was the impact that you would say Jim Fix's book had if you had to? Because I know he's more famous. Would you say that his book kind of got people running, or or is that too? Um, not necessarily for me, but I think for a lot of people, yeah, there were, you know, and, and certainly there were some that would, you know, say, oh, well, he died, you know, of a heart attack, but I, people make a lot of hay out of that. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll take it negatively, but I don't buy into that. Obviously, fortunately people are not buying into that because of back then, like I say, Boston and having 2000 runners, you know, the New York city marathon last month had over 50,000 people running. So running has really blossomed all over the, all over the world, really, mm -hmm. um, and I think because it's a really relatively cheap sport, you know, it doesn't cost a lot of money. You don't have to be a member of a club. You know, you can just go out your door and, you know, and, and, run. and it's the quickest, easiest way to stay in shape. You know, even if you're walking, you know, you don't even have to run, but even just to get out and walk and, you know, get some fresh air and physical exercise, running, walking's the, the thing. The I think the easiest way to be involved in physical activity. So, That's interesting. Yeah. So we're in the 80s, and you're going to be in the Olympics, correct? Olympic trials. Olympic trials. Olympic trials. What was the first year for that? So, ah, uh, well, they did them back in the 60s. I know in the 60s. I they, mean, for you. Oh, you're for me. So, 80s, oh, yeah. so that was my first one. So 1980 was my first one. Okay. And my last one was 1996. Wow. Which I, you want me to tell you a story about it? Uh, any story. You all hear right. all stories. Okay. You know I mean? So I love, yeah. still, I love telling stories. So, well, you got which, so it's a, and, and actually it relates to North Carolina. Oh, so 96 was Charlotte. So Charlotte Olympic trials. And I had actually skipped a couple of ones cause I had other opportunities to go other places. Like my first two were in Buffalo, which wasn't okay. all that exciting actually, <laughs> but it was my first one. So I skipped the second one cause I had opportunities to go to Munich, Germany and Sydney, Australia. So it's like, all right, do you want to go to Buffalo or do you want to go to Sydney and Munich? Like, all right, have fun in Buffalo. <laughs> so, but in 96, I knew it was going to be my last one and I mm. thought it'd be fun. And, and the organizers wanted me to come. So I had had a cold like the week before. So I, and I was the oldest guy in the field by over four years. So, I, so, I, huh. so I'm like, okay, I didn't know how I'd do, but I'm in the race and all of a sudden I look back and the ambulance is behind me and I'm running last. And I'm like, oh, well, well, I got an excuse. I'm the oldest guy and I'm running last. And there was a coach who coaches, in fact, here in, in Asheville, um, Oh, God, I can't think of his name right now. It'll come to me. But anyway, he, he puts on uh, some, he used to put on summer camps here. Yeah. And um, Roy Benson was his name. So, so I'm running, maybe it's about mile 20. And I'm thinking, oh, great. Coach Roy Benson's going to see me. You know, I'm running mm -hmm. last. And I turn the corner. Sure enough, there he is. You know, and coach says, hey, doc, you're doing great. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> you know, but I'm running last. <laughs> and I figure it doesn't matter. You know, at least I'm there. And there's only 100 people that qualified. So I still feel fortunate that I'm one of those 100. But the best part of the story is two miles to go. And I see this kid walk off the course. And I start yelling at him, like, you only have two miles to go. You're in the Olympic trials. You can't quit. Get back here. So I yell at him. I get him back on the course. Dude. And I said, hey, we're going to run together. Well, I'm going to help you out. We're going to run together. You know, and, you know, and I, I can finish last. I don't care. 
And we start running together and we get a quarter mile to the finish line. He says, I have to walk. And like, okay, fine. He goes, well, you go ahead. And I said, all right, well, you only got a quarter mile. I'm going to wait for you at the finish to make sure you cross that line. He goes, okay. So he does. And he crosses the finish line. And I didn't think he, I, that he knew who I was. Oh, and, okay. he, and he walks up to me and he shakes my hand. He goes, Mr. Curtis, thank you so much for making me finish. And I said, well, where are you from? And he said he's from Spartanburg. So it was like mm. his hometown marathon, you know, with, yeah. his, with his family there. And I'm like, aren't you glad that you finished? You were almost going to drop out. Mm. But he made it. And, you know, he's one of the few hundred that made it. And, you know, and here, like his hometown Olympic trial. So, so anyway, that made it a special event. Well, fo- folks keep, keep talking about something called the podium. Yeah. And the feelings people have. So do you want to talk? So the first time you were at the podium or a podium? Podium. Well, I'll tell you one thing. So, so I've won. At one time I had the world record. I'd won 40 marathons. So, and, and I've also finished second 20 times in a marathon yep. <laughs> out of 200. And I never, I mean, I, certainly it's great to win. I love to win. Um, but I never, it was never my expectation that, you know, a few marathons maybe because I knew I had the most talent in a mm-hmm. race, but I never felt like, all right, you know, I, all I want to do is cross the finish line and feel like I ran the best race I could. And if I won, great. If I finished second or third, oh, well, you know, as long as I crossed that line, I felt like I ran a good race. That's all I really, really cared about. Interesting. Um, so that's your, your, your cent, your, your centered on finishing Making it to the finish, right? Yes, and yes. running a good race. And running a good race. And I tell that to people all the time. All you want, nobody else knows but yourself, you know, when you cross that line, was it a good race for me? Nobody can know that. Yeah, they don't you know inside your Because they don't know how much training you went into it, you know, how you felt that day. And you're not going to have a great day every time. It's impossible. Any athlete, you know, any professional athlete knows that. There's no way you're going to, every time you pitch a ball game, you're going to have a great game. It just yeah. doesn't work that way. So with running, I just, I felt fortunate that I had many, many great races. So, but I'll tell you another story. So Austin, Texas Marathon. Mm. So I ran that several times. Um, I couldn't even tell you the year I won. The year I won, I couldn't tell you a story about it. But I can remember the year I finished third. Interesting. More so than the year I won. What made that memorable? Because I'd run, I ran a perfect race. I ran everything I could do to win the race. Uh, you know, and there were two other young kids with me. Um, one of them was a friend of mine, and one was a Kenyan, actually. And he was sitting behind us the whole race, and the two of us did all the work. You know, and huh. he figured he was going to kick us at the end. And we got all the way to the 26-mile mark, so 365 yards to go, and the two young kids outkicked me. Um, but it was just a great race. It was exciting. Mm. It was fun. The guy who won was my buddy and he took me out to lunch you uh-huh. know, and said, Hey, thanks. You really, you know, made me work and I ran a great race. So I have, it was just much more exciting than when I won the race. So, um, do you speak about these things when you do, uh, uh motivational speaking, yeah. you're yeah, a motivational yeah. speaker. So before hold that thought, we're going to get yep. to that in a second. Yeah. Is, is not breaking away the greatest movie ever made or up there? Yeah, that was a great. That was a fun movie. Again, and that's fun, bicycling. Fun movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that's cycling. bicycling. Yeah, 
Yeah. But it's a it, it's kind of a sports. But it's thing. motivational. It's motivational. Well, actually, Talk about that. So yeah. I, well, actually, just last weekend, I did the Ford. I watched the Ford versus Ferrari movie. Same um, thing. Talk about exciting and on yep. the edge, you know, and nervous. Even though you know, you, even when you know the results of what happened, you know, and especially since I worked at Ford Motor Company, that's right. And I knew, you know, about Henry Ford II, and you know, and their you know their experience going to Le Mans and you mm. know building a, the GT40. You know, it, it was. You know, there's excitement, and you know what any kind of sport where you've got that thrill of victory. How, how many years were you at Ford? Or at Ford? so 31 years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know why I'm breaking away. I thought of that just because it's something about us. Yeah. It, well, it's Midwestern story. Yeah, it's it's Hoosiers. It's Indi- yeah, Hoosiers, it's, Indiana. Yeah. Indiana, and um, yeah. it's also like a team. Somebody yeah. will take over. Moocher yeah. will ride, and yeah, Kurt, it, somebody else will ride. There are very few races. I mean, early career maybe, but later after I won my first hometown marathon, I quit being nervous at races. It just kind of dissipated it fell away. after that. Fell away, and you know, and I would. What's t- your new attitude then? You're not nervous, so what's that? What's that replaced by? What do you? What is your most? Your I mean, statement? there's still some anticipation. There's some yeah. degree of anticipation. But what made me think when you talk about teams, I would get yeah. more nervous when I would run a team race than when I'd run my own race because I get nervous for my teammates because oh, you know, yeah. I wanted them to do well. Sure. So rather than myself, because you kind of know what oh I know what I'm capable of, but I want my teammates to do well. So I think there was more nervousness in being part of a team event. So when you start speaking in public about these issues, what kinds of things are you getting into when you're talking to an audience, or uh, what are some of the major? Uh, well, I do a two-part thing. So two I, parts. Okay. I, motivation. What's motivated me to do what I've done, but what I've seen motivate other people. You know, there's people that run like every fifth, every state in the union. They want to do the 50 states thing, or they turn 40, or they turn 50. They want to say they've accomplished something at a particular, you know, uh, decade in their life. So you see those kind of things. Uh-huh. Um, and then courage. I I'll do a thing like about the, in fact a, a story. So I do a whole thing on courage. So I talk about the cowardly lion. What makes a king out of a slave? What makes the flag on the mast wave? You know, and the cowardly lion always yelling courage. So I get my audience to yell courage. And so I, w- I did the first time I ever did this speech Where using using that. It was up in Duluth, Minnesota. Beautiful. Grandma's Marathon. And mm-hmm. so after the race, these two kids came up to me at the award ceremony because they knew they knew I was going to be there. And they said, Mr. Curtis, we have to tell you, we were at mile 24. Our hotel was right there. It was a really hot day. Mm. And we, we thought about dropping out, but we looked at each other and pointed courage that we had to have the courage to finish. And they did. And they just had to come up and see me and tell me yeah. that that little part of the speech made a difference. You know, just they had it in their head. Courage was going well, to help them beautiful get to the finish line. To get feedback like that yeah. so immediately, yeah. right? Yeah. How many people do you think you've inspired to, to improve their athleticism? Oh, man. Would you say if you had to? Probably more than a 1,000. I would say wow. more than a 1,000 people pretty easily. Um, nice thing is you know, I've been on running clubs, many running clubs for years, and mm-hmm. so I – I've inspired a lot of people to just even join a club so that they're involved. They have other people to encourage them, not just me, but, you know, get them in an environment where other people are going to, you know, motivate them to get out and run, you know, and some of these people are people that have done all 50 States that when I first met them, never even thought about running, you know, and got to a point that now here they are running in all 50 States. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, so somebody's like, an idea of somebody's goal would be, I need to get every 50, yeah. all 50. Yeah. And so they go from never thinking about running, you said. Yeah. And then soon, you know, 
They're and, doing it. And then they're doing they're it. They're going to Illinois and Texas and yeah, California over. and everywhere. An excuse to travel, you know, that they have it's the so opportunity and the finances to be able to do it. And there they are, you know, making that a goal to visit other, other states. What, what other speeches you've given, given that have come to mind or unusual locations or for, I don't know, for companies or for... Um, um, well, okay, it, another story. So I'm, I'm at a convention in Spokane, Washington, okay. and I'm running along. And so I'm part of a, I talk about running clubs. I'm part of a, I don't run with them that often, but I'm part of a running group called the Hash House Harriers. And, yeah. and Hash House is a slang term for a cheap restaurant. Okay, so this right. group started. It was a bunch of British guys that in in uh, in uh, Malaysia back in I think the nine. I want to say the nineteen thirties. I'm probably wrong on mm. the date, but it was like nine, you know, mid nineteen hundreds. And so they they were eating eating and eating, and they wanted to keep eating and drinking, and so they would devise these runs and run walk. And so they'd use chocolate and flour, and you had to find the right way to go. And then they'd all create nicknames for themselves and. And they just make a lot of fun out of it. Mm -hmm. And you'll see sometimes bumper stickers with a little foot and it's like, on, on. So the hares or the people out front would yell, on, on, meaning you're on the right trail. So going full circle here. So I'm running on this morning run with this convention and all these people are making the wrong turn. And without thinking about it, I yelled, on, on. <laughs> and this kid comes up from behind me and said, oh, you're a hash house here. I'm like, yeah. And, and I introduced myself. He goes, oh, Doug Curtis, I know who you are. You you're know? a celebrity. You're a celebrity. People, yeah. He said, do you do public speaking? And I said, yeah, occasionally. He said, well, I'm a member of the Houston Track Club and we have a lot of money. And would you come down and speak to us? You know, we'll fly you down and pay your expenses and all that. I'm like, great. And all because I yelled on, on, <laughs> I, I'm, I was here, I'm down in Houston talking to a whole group of people. Yeah. Well, it's almost mystical connections between people, right? Yeah, sometimes. It's it kind of interesting. Way. What was yeah. Texas like when you were there? Uh, I got lucky because it was in August okay. where it's usually really hot, but they, they had a fluke weekend where it was 75 and the weather was really nice. And I ran with the hashers who ran, who they do all kinds of crazy stuff. In fact, even in, here in Asheville, they'll run across streams, you know, they'll go mile. And so this one crossed streams, I think 12 times in this big state park, you know, and then, you know, and then obviously finished at a bar somewhere. By the way, the, this group too does themed runs where you wear a dress you know, so they have a red dress run. San Diego has like 5,000 people that show up huh. in a red dress. I could tell some really crazy stories about Houston or about hashing, but I'm not sure if I should go there. <laughs> you should probably. <laughs> what comes to mind in your consciousness? Uh, right, I'll now. let you decide if you want to edit it out. So, so, no. so the hashers, they, um, they're a wild bunch. Huh? They're a wild bunch. You know, and the, I think, and here's again where, you know, here I'm an elite athlete, but I, I know how to have fun. You know, it's not always about pushing, 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 but enjoying the experience. So I think I did my first hash actually in Hong Kong. So I was running the Hong Kong Marathon and the hashers there said, hey, come and run this race. I'm like, this is the coolest thing. This is fun. They ran at night. They had to use a flashlight to find the right way to go, you know. And so there's a lot of self-deprecation and mm -hmm. and. People just enjoying the sport. Sounds like it. Taking it all so serious. Sounds so, like it. So my wife and I went on this. They have intra. They have intra and international hashes. So so the intra hash people from all over America show up for an event, and then they have international hashes with people travel all over the world. So there's hashing like everywhere, all over the world. So anyway, I went on this intra hash that was also part of an Alaskan cruise. Hmm. So I'm on the cruise. 
And I and this woman who is part of our group, this this girl next door, sweet as can be, um, from Indiana, and mm. she's crocheting a dress. Yeah. And she's on the ship and she's crocheting. And the last night there, they had a dance and she's in her dress and I'm dancing with her. You know, going back to dancing, right? We're, yeah. having, we're having fun. And so I said, wow, great, great dress. This is fabulous. You know, you know, nice job. And she said, oh, I'm using it for the, for their interhash. And she didn't tell me why, but she was saying the interhash. I'm like, okay. And this is my first experience doing an intrahash. So, and this was down in Portland. So we, Portland, Oregon, Oregon. So we, so we, the ship comes back into Seattle and we take a train down to Portland and there's like 3000 people in this park. Oh boy. And, and so they have a miss intrahash. So these women get up on the stage and they have to do some kind of routine to win miss intrahash. And this woman, woman who just where I'm still friends with her today too. And she now lives in DC and anyway, just charming as can be. And anyway, she's up in this crochet dress and she hands two pieces of the yarn of the dress to two guys and they unravel the entire yeah. dress. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> and she has some pasties for a little bit of modesty, but basically she's standing nude, yeah. you know, in front of 3,000 people on stage. It's you know? good, good <laughs> and, stuff. And you would and after the race, I'm talking, or after the thing, I'm talking to her and like, wow, you won. She's got the sash, you know, on. It's beautiful. And, and it was like the, she said, this is like the greatest day of my life, you know, that I've won yeah. and I'm misinterested. You know? <laughs> well, it's a sort of good, clean fun. I guess. Yeah, so it's good, clean fun, but. Well, it's funny what drives people. I mean, everybody, you know, it's funny to think about this woman doing that. Yeah. And there's probably some, another woman somewhere that would be horrified at that or not want to do that. Yeah. What do you make? I mean, I know that you do public speaking, so you're probably very keenly aware that different things motivate different people or, you know, different people are probably afraid of different things yeah. or confident in different things. But your job, right, when you're speaking is to cut through all that, right? Well, here's your, a, goal, your job is to get people to overcome their fears. and their, Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, when we talk about courage, courage yeah. is over, basically overcoming your fear. I mean, Shakespeare and um, Frank L. Baum from, who wrote Wizard of Oz, I'll right. tell you, fear is, uh, there's no courage without having fear. You know, <laughs> courage is overcoming a fear that you have. In fact, here's another good story. So New York City Marathon, I'm at the starting line of the New York City Marathon, and I see... A whole row, row of people making sure that we're behind the line and they're all their arms are all locked. And I, I lock eyes with this nice, I don't know why I thought she was Irish looking, but she happened to be Irish. And we kind of, our eyes connected and we, you know, we just saw each other. I wanted to come up and hug her, but I, mm-hmm. I didn't know her. And so I well, couldn't do yeah, that. I couldn't yeah. do that, right? But, sure, I, yeah. but I, I had this feeling I wanted to go up and hug oh, her. Boy. And so then I'm at the finish line and she shows up again. And hmm. we have a nice conversation. I said, well, maybe I'll see you at the award ceremony tonight. Well, she said she typically wouldn't come to the awards, but she knew I was going to be there, so she showed up. And we started talking, and and she was a psychologist. They have a psych team, and all these oh. psychologists walk around with a clipboard, and they ask people <laughs> what they're afraid of. Like, people have bridge phobias, so they're afraid to cross bridges. So what they would do is they would take the ribbon that the winner, winner crossed from the year before, cut it in little pieces, put a safety pin to it, and they'd... they'd put it up on their singlet or whatever they were wearing. They say, every time you start to feel fearful, touch that ribbon and visualize that you're going to cross the finish line. And they said for a lot of people that that simple little thing of visualizing crossing the finish line would work for them. So, and that woman that I met, so six, nine months later, I married her, you know, (laughs) 
Of course, I, of course, I hate to say this, but five years later, I divorced her too. <laughs> or she divorced me. I don't know. Either way, but but being married to a therapist for five years was oh. uh, a little tough. But what makes it I, tough? I give her, but I give her credit. She moved from Midtown Manhattan to a little town in in Michigan. You know, oh. and you know, and so that's was, hard. It was it was hard for her. So yeah, I mean, you know, and now she's back on the East Coast. Well, but, yeah, sure. Yeah, right. she's doing she's doing fine now. But, uh, well, you're but both happy. I, I miss her family, though. She had a great family. Lived oh. on in Port Jefferson, Long Island, and someone lived mid time Manhattan. And the pa- family parties were all re- really a lot of fun. And they were all runners too. So it was kind of nice that when I showed up at the family gatherings, you know, my second date with her was thanks coming up. My second date was Thanksgiving, mm. you know. And the family thought you, you've only met this guy and you're having him come to Thanksgiving dinner. And they said, ah, yeah, yeah, be fine. And I had a blast with her whole family. It was Doug Curtis though? Yeah, That's a little different. I don't know. That was the, I said it was an end. Yeah. When you, when you're a yeah, good I mean, runner, I think you get a well, little, well, people do treat you a little differently, you know, when they find out you're accomplished at something, yeah. you know, whatever it is, I don't, you know, you know, being a great pianist, you know, yeah. that makes a difference. People have, yeah. I think do give you maybe a little higher level of respect because of you, they know that you've done a lot, a lot of work to get where you are. That's probably true. Uh, your current wife is an athlete. Yeah, she's an athlete too. And in fact, she's and loving living athlete. here in Asheville. She's run 38 marathons. 38. 38. And, but she's a wonderful hiker. She's got a whole group of girls here that are women, I should say, that, you know, love to hike. So um, it's just uh, really. Did you cool. want to talk about her experience in the Boston Marathon? Uh, we can, if you'd like. She, she was in the. She, she was in the year that, that the explosion happened. Yes. Yeah. I happened to be home that year. Usually I was there, but I was. And home you know there. where I was? I was there. I was on Boylston Street. Yeah. You know, wow. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Right where that first bomb went off, a number of times I had been in that exact area because that's mm. where all the Kenyan families hung out, which they they, would, they were gone by then. And, but, yeah. and, and usually I was too, but that was one of the spots where I would hang out with the Kenyan families and watch the first runners come in when I was there just helping out. Um, but for Ann, she had just crossed the finish line and looked back and saw the mm. herd and saw the explosion. And mm. for her, it was really difficult in part, not just the experience right there, but she was a hygienist. So for the, huh. so for the next six months, every patient that came in would ask her about her experience you know, and so she was every day she was reliving that. Oh, she had to talk experience. about it. She had to talk mm-hmm. about it. And I, and usually I hadn't seen my wife that emotional, but Anne, uh, Anne got pretty emotional, you know, talking sure. about that event. And still, I think it's still, she wants to go back to Boston again, I think mm. in part to kind of get past that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, so she's going to run a marathon next year in part to hopefully qualify for the Boston Marathon again. Oh, excellent. So. I, so she's a Midwesterner like you, right? Yes, she is. Michigan? Yeah. In fact, oh, yeah. In fact we met. I, we first met when I was running out in my backyard. She had a boyfriend at the time. Oh, boy. And a year later, she had left her boyfriend, and I was putting on a Hash House Harrier run. And she was a Hash House Harrier. And she thought I'd be really serious and intense, and she thought that was the kind of person I was. And then, mm-hmm. like, he's putting out a hash run, you know? <laughs> you know, maybe he isn't so serious. And I'm much more playful. And probably she's probably more serious than I am. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so because of that, she showed up at that event, and then we started dating. I'd, I'd actually left my car in a cemetery with all the beer in it. And I said, can you take me back to my car? I got to go pick up the beer, you know? <laughs> and so, so that's when I asked her for a date, you know, and then life 
Life's been great ever since. Well, it seems it. You seem like yeah. a really great couple. Yeah. And I, my wife's know. awesome. But the best thing about my wife is she's easy to talk to. Uh-huh. You know, we can sit at dinner. You know, We can sit at Blue Mountain Pizza for two hours and yep. not run out of conversation. You know? That's important, isn't it? <laughs> it is important. I think that's, When people can't talk to each other, that's, a, that's death, right? It's very strange when yeah. you'll see people at a restaurant and they're just sitting across yep. from each other and not talking. How can yep. you do that? That's beyond me. <laughs> You know, so Anne's Anne's really enjoyable to talk to. Do people really know know more now about the human body than when you first started running? There's, I know, there's been advances about I don't know chemistry or legs or whatever. What talk about what people, how people see it differently uh, now and then, or it could be medical, or it could be anything. Well, certainly, just even you know. Back in the 70s, in fact, going back to Frank Shorter, his Frank idea Shorter. about an elect, or a, a drink was drinking defizzed Coke, Coca-Cola. And, uh, and, okay. uh, you know, we're here, you got Gatorade. I mean, there's all kinds of different products out there mm-hmm. for, um, you know, drinking during the, during the race. And like goo, these little goo packets, some sugar packets. I, I found even as I got, even as you age, you find different things too, where... You know, when I was running under two hours and 20 minutes, you know, I, I was done so quickly. I didn't have to worry. I pretty much drink water and not have to worry about it. But mm-hmm. as I got older and a little slower, you know, I would, you know, maybe take some kind of sugar supplement late in the race because it would just, I would just, you know, be able to run better late as your glycogen stores start to weary, you know, late in the race. So, yeah, that changes. But certainly, you know, going back to like shoes, having better, much better shoes and back mm-hmm. in, the, in the 70s. So, you know, and, and certainly at racing at my level, having really light, comfortable shoes that fit you well made a big difference too. Even so- even better socks, you know, than uh-huh. what they had back then. So Any, any thoughts or impressions about the visual uh, spectacle or theater of, say, the Olympic trials or a race? Uh, what thoughts come to mind about how that's changed or what impresses you or what well, doesn't impress you about just the... Because this is something that people like to watch, right? People that aren't running or... Well... Well, the wonderful thing is, I mean, it's unfortunately, it's a very hard thing, a thing to televise. So outside hmm. of a New York or Chicago or Ma- London major marathon, very hard to um, put the money behind, you know, televising in a, a marathon today. But um, but the wonderful thing is there's so many great races all over the world. And, mm-hmm. and actually, almost every major city, even the U.S., you know, cities have figured out that um, it's a moneymaker. You know, it's an opportunity, and and it brings the it, it brings the community together. Not just the people that are running, but you're getting thousands of volunteers to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're coming from all over the place, and most of them are involved with charities too. Hmm. Boston raises mm-hmm. millions of dollars in charities, mm-hmm. so that's another opportunity to raise money for your all your local charities. So. So, and then, you know, and then, and then you design great courses. So you're showing off your city. So you can go to any major city, you know, and get to experience that city and see, you know, the highlights of that. So what are some of your personal highlights going to Boston or Cambridge? I'm sure you have, uh, you know, like I just shared my first one, running my first Boston was, you know, an amazing experience, even though, you know, I didn't run that great, but you know, but, um, 
I, I was lucky that one year at 42, I probably ran the best race of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at Boston. Yep. And I won the master's division, so which is 40 and over. And to give you an idea, so back then, um, it was $10,000 for first place, mm-hmm. for first master. So I won that one year. And I had been second two years prior. So And I was racing against the same guy. But this year, I, everything came together. And I ran a 2.15. So <clears throat> and it was really one of the best races I'd ever run. And the cool thing about it, not just the race itself, but that particular year, all the winners, the hand cyclists and the, and the top runners and the masters runners all got invited to the White House. Mm. So we got, and Clinton was the president oh, yeah. at the time. So uh, we went out running with him. You went running with the president? We went running with the president, you know, ran around Haynes Point and did the loop. What was back. that? That's interesting. Well, you know, actually, he ran pretty well. And everybody laughed, you know, teased him. I don't know, did he stop at McDonald's, you know, and all that. But for a big guy, he actually ran pretty well. Interesting. Yeah. And, and then I had the, heard that he was kind of athletic. Would you say yeah, he is? I would or? say he was. And certainly That's now, a, if you look at him now, he's actually, yeah. I don't know what he's doing, but he's certainly pretty thin now. You know, if, you know, yeah. the last few pictures I've seen of him. Um, but, but the nice thing, too, we hmm. all got 10 minutes um, with them, individual 10 minutes oh, wow. with the talk. And I had just come back from Vietnam. I'd won the Hanoi Marathon. So he was asking, he was, he was trying to open up relations with, with Vietnam. And he was just asking me about my own personal experience of running in Vietnam, which was actually great. The, the Vietnamese, I was surprised because I won the race in, in Hanoi and, and where the North Vietnamese are. And I yeah. thought people wouldn't like me, you know, mm. because here's an American winning Coming the over race. Yeah. But it was just the opposite. Mm. I'm in town and people are stopping me and they were handing me a carnation and they would ask me if I needed a ride anywhere. Mm. And they were finding a camera so they could have their picture with me. And they were really gracious. And because I was on television there, yeah. you know, they were all calling me Marathon Man, Marathon Man, Marathon oh, Man, you know. And so anyway, they were very, very nice to me. And and, and I was surprised at that because I didn't think that was the kind of reaction I'd get. Well, you got a good reaction. So that tells you something, right? About yeah. At least about Vietnam in that time. Yeah. And and Vietnam, time. Vietnam was beautiful when I was there. I mean, Never they, been. I mean, the nice thing about when I've traveled... Abroad. The food's good too. The food's great. That's but, all other, yeah. But it, just about everywhere I went, you know, as a so as a guest of mm-hmm. that particular marathon, I would have people to show me around. I'd get to go to a lot of the really cold. I I was never one to sit in my hotel room. Hmm. You know, I wanted to go you, experience the culture. So I yeah, would Doug. Get, you don't see someone. You don't seem to me like someone's going to sit in. No, yeah, when you, no, you don't when you're going to stay a, in your hotel, a new yeah, country, no. and you yep. get to see the cultural and yeah, see you got the dancing, you know, like. Like in South Korea, seeing the fan dancers, you know, or, or Thailand, where you see the gals with the foot-long fingernails that huh. do dance routines and the monkey warriors and mm-hmm. all those kind of things. I mean, to have those opportunities, yeah. I wasn't going to pass that up. Yeah, so, you're not going to sit in a hotel. No, you know? no way. Um, no. But I, I'm sure you had some good accommodations, right? Traveling yeah, usually, the- I would stay in nice hotel rooms. Yeah, they would put me up. And like I say, I would have usually during the day, there would be people that show me around, and then same in the evening if they mm-hmm. were, you know, and they're usually, I would, they, they were act. And most marathons, it's, it isn't just the race itself. They'll have an expo or they have other activities surrounding the race, too. Yeah. So, so I had, oper- you know, I had got to go to a lot of fun things that surrounded the race, too. Celebrities, you've met a few of them, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about any known or unknown or, or any, any, it don't have to be in sports, Yeah. but I'm sure you've a uh, world of running or what, com- what comes to mind. I know you've mentioned. Boy, I'm trying to think of one that I really Not Mark Spitz. Maybe. Who was it that you? Oh, um, well, who's the, well, 
sometimes I just meet them just enough to say hi, but okay. not more than that, than not really necessarily talk to them. You know, like I remember actually meeting Dustin Hoffman running in Central Park one day before the New York City Marathon. You know, huh. he, was, he was out running pretty good too. Of course, he was in a running movie too. Marathon, you know? man, <laughs> yeah. marathon Speaking man. of Marathon Man. So, so um, you know, and you just, you know, the typical thing you just say, hey, I admire your work, you know, and you just give them a compliment, but you don't want to bother them. You know, well, so. I mean, socially, didn't you? I mean, uh, didn't you meet some people that were really known in, in sports or, or people that could be swimming or yeah. well, tennis? Well, Bill, Bill Rogers Bill is Rogers. probably one of the most famous. You know, Bill and I actually competed against each other really? know, numerous times. Yeah. Um, you know, and Bill was a lot of fun. You know, a really nice, nice guy. A um, little harder to give a speech with, though. <laughs> Why is that? He's kind of like all over the place. And we'd do a speech together and I'd have to kind of reel him in. You know, and say, all right, come on, let's stay focused. Was he kind of chaotic when yeah, he spoke? Yeah, a bit, yeah. He'd, he'd even, some people like liken him to Peter Pan. You know, he's like still like a little kid, you know. <laughs> you know? But he was a nice guy. I mean, he'd, he'd be somebody that would sit around for hours and hours signing autographs. And, you know, hmm. and he'd remember people's names, which wow. always floored me that, you know, he might meet somebody once or twice, but still remember who they Bill were. Bill Rogers. So kinda, but, you know, he won Boston four times and New York four times. So mm-hmm. after that, you, you're going to, it's kind of like once you're mm-hmm. famous, you're always famous. Hard for that. You know, that doesn't go away. What was the last time you spoke in public? If you could think? Um, I probably saw him. The, oh, the, oh, that I, you spoke and or did a did a speech about anything. Uh, uh, when that when would that have been? Your last public uh, last public motivational last a year or, a little over a year ago. A little year um, ago. I actually did it in Detroit, and okay. I'll usually combine it with something. So I had a friend who had just taken over handling um, the Michigan Humane Society in Detroit, and they had a beautiful facility there oh. with a a big area to do public speaking so so it was kind of a win-win and i i got to speak in front of an audience and then Mm. and then we did a whole tour of their facilities and we actually had a few people adopt dogs and cats while i was there so 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 it really turned out well yeah yeah it, it, do you plan how much do you plan your speech? Is it what you're going to say? How pre planned is it um, versus improvised? So i have a whole slideshow which makes it really easy for me so i my my slides tie to what I'm speaking about. So mm-hmm. there's, they're seeing a visual of what I'm talking about. So that makes it really easy too. Um, I mean, I've done the speech enough times that I yeah. lock in and, and I really enjoy Q and a, so hmm. I'll spend probably at least a half hour and it's very easy for me to tell stories like we are now. Somebody will ask a question and it'll turn into some story about something. So I find that really easy. And then, and then I develop more of a personal connection that I'm taught, you know, I'm answering yeah. so many questions who's in the audience. Sure. I find that a lot. I, that, I find that very easy to do. And you've also been in cars, right? Vehicles. So any, what comes to mind about how cars are changing or how Ford's changed? Or well, anything? actually it just in this week's, Oh. This week in the LA has got the auto show right now. Are you going? And, no, well, I'm not, not going. You're here. You're not, you're yeah. Right, so. um, Detroit actually moved their auto show. It used to be in the fall. And now they're moving to summer, which actually is great for me because, you know, I'm going to be up doing turkey trot here. And, and we used trot. to have to worry about, I mean, it takes them months to set up that whole exhibit hall. So now they're not in our way anymore. But, uh, but LA next, this coming week, they're for just, showed, I love LA. They're, yeah. uh, they, they they're doing a new SUV that's hmm. that looks like a Mustang. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it has kind of a Mustang look, but it's an SUV, and that's going to come out at the end of next year. So I thought that was something interesting or something different, and it's all electric too. So electric. So you were thirty years in cars, right? Thirty years. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm guessing that you saw a lot of changes in automobiles or automation. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, what are cars now? They're but like big computers on wheels, right? More or less. What I like more, the most I like is, I'd say like late 70s, 80s, the quality was terrible. You yeah. know, and it's like the engineers didn't care that much. And, you know, and, the, and the Japanese are beating us up. That's right. The quality that was, was so much better. And that kind of raised the bar to the like, all right, if you want to stay in business, you got to turn this around. So, you know, and I still have friends that work in the plants up there and, wow. and they said the quality difference from even five years ago is enormous, hmm. you know, lot, big, big difference in how they design and build cars now. You know, not that there isn't, there's always problems, especially when you have a brand new car off the line, you know, you're still working out things, but, but, but even still the, the quality compared to 20 years ago is huge, huge difference. I guessing that's partly technology, or yeah. or is it also yeah. partly is it vision too, well, and like imagination? Technology like, for sure, but also yeah. uh, methods. You know, like the Deming method of looking at quality, and you know, the, you know, and looking at okay, here's how we build a part, and you know, what's and is that part up to specifications? And constantly, you know, you've got enough people now that are paying it really paying attention to the specifics of every single part on that vehicle. Yeah, that's yeah. important if you want. Yeah. Yeah. People to get home in one piece. Yeah, you want them to last. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about, you know, that the world changing and doing electric vehicles and doing something that isn't gas powered too. So and then the whole self driving thing. I'm hoping by the time, you know, that I make it to my 90s and, you know, I don't have to worry about somebody taking my, the keys away from me because I'll, I'll have a self-driving car. You're already thinking about that. You're planning <laughs> way ahead. I know. Far in, far in the future. In advance. Yeah. It's good to plan. Yeah. Yeah, I just, um, that's incredible. Uh, cars and technology and all of it. Yeah. Um, any other sports that you follow avidly now? I mean, I know that you... You know... Uh, I still so I read through three newspapers every morning. That's right. You were telling me. You I do know. That. So I, I read my free press because absolutely I, you know, being a writer to. there. I lo- and I like the way the papers laid out. Yep. So I, New York and Times. I, and I want to know about what's happening in my hometown anyway. Oh, yeah. But I, yeah, I read the New York Times. Right. You know, and I'll skim through. I'll pick articles here and there. And then what writers I do you always want to know my local papers? So sure. the Asheville Times. I'm reading that too. What writers do you follow or like, or that, that you think, oh, this person really writes well, or that. Well, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, you know, being another Mitch, you know, but Mitch album, Mitch album, Mitch that's album, right. um, know. and and Mitch as a writer is phenomenal, mm-hmm. you know. As a radio host, you know, he likes to it, like many typical radio hosts they are looking for controversy or complaining about stuff. <laughs> I, mean, I guess that's maybe the easy to do. So I, I'm not a big fan of listening to, you know. Radio hosts, you know. That's that funny because my show. That's funny you mentioned that because I'm like the anti. My whole show is trying to do the opposite of that. That's funny. Yeah. Well, yeah, sometimes they, they want to go to the extreme to entertain, especially yeah. if you're on on every day. You know, yeah. you're like I miss in the morning or something. Yeah. yeah. You know. Like so it's like, yeah. Do I want to read? I don't know. Uh, I just want to hear the truth, I guess. And sometimes if they're really stretching the truth, then. I have trouble wanting to listen to somebody if they're not. They're but, you know, not reading three papers every day is very, uh, that's kind of the way to do it, right? Yeah. yeah. That's the way to do it. Yeah. If everybody did that, maybe papers would be in business still. Yeah. You th- I, I'm, I'm kind of, it's kind of sad, I guess. Is oh, the best way I can that's put it. a mild sad way of putting that, it. That, mild, yeah. Yes, that young people today, okay, I, I don't care if you're not reading a hard copy newspaper, but you have a tablet or a computer, it's so easy to, for you to look at the news you know, and I don't watch tele- I don't watch TV on the news. To me, that's entertainment. Interesting. You know, so I, 
outside of maybe watching election 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 Returns. results, yeah. I don't really watch any kind of news whatsoever. Occasionally, maybe you know, you know that usually the number one sports our newscaster is the weatherman because mm. whenever and they love it when there's bad weather because <laughs> people want to tune in when the weather's bad. Sure. Makes sense, you know. So. So I would rather get my news from reading. And plus, you know, New York Times, you get, if you want to really read an in-depth article about something, the opportunity's there. Mm-hmm. You know, I just read one yesterday about, you know, about Mr. Rogers. The new you know. film that's coming out. Yeah, like the, the new film's Fred coming out. Tom so Hanks. they did a real in-depth story from yeah. somebody who knew him most of his life. Yeah. You know, and those are really good stories to read. You know, so I, so I like the yeah. New York Times, you know, for finding those kind of stories. Yeah. Are there writers, uh, aside from yourself, of course, at the Detroit <laughs> Free Press who you will wave the flag for? You? That, guy, that per- man or woman was a terrific writer. And they, um, yeah, in I can't say anybody specifically, but I, but I was blessed that I had a great editor. Who know? was that? Um, um, God, I'm just losing it right now. Give me a second and I'll think hmm. of it. Uh, Owen Davis. Owen so Davis. Owen Davis. And Owen Davis was just a wonderful man too and and he means a person as a person and he actually talk ended, about that. and actually he's up in winston-salem now his wife is from there um and she was having some uh physical issues and has mm-hmm. since passed away but he moved back to be with her family and, and still lives there in winston-salem but it interesting well a story oh yeah so love, yeah so i'm at his retirement party and his mm. daughter sitting next to him and she gets out and he says, you know, my daughter came here because there was one person she really wanted to meet. And everybody looked at Mitch album thinking she were on to meet Mitch, right? And he says, no, he wanted to meet Doug Curtis. No. <laughs> she wanted to meet Doug Curtis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that's, there you go. So I was like, it was kind of fun that I got a one up on Mitch. And <laughs> what makes a great editor? You write copies. So you, I, you imagine you wrote about sports and wrote about baseball. Well, I wrote about running. No, I wrote, oh, you stri- only wrote about stri- running. Only I wrote running about running. running. Yes. That's only fantastic. About running. And so what make, what, uh, his name is Mr. Owen. Yeah, what? Owen Davis. Owen, Owen Davis. Davis. What is he? What makes him a great editor? What is he? How does he look and uh, uh, interpret your writing, or how does he relate to your writing? So, well, example. The one thing I almost see writing as a piece of art. Well, of course it is. Yeah, it, it really is. And so, when you write something, I, I would go through mini edits, edits myself, so I'd try to give it as clean as I could. Mm-hmm. And then they would give me 500 words, but every once in a while I'd say, oh, and I need 700 for this. And hmm. they, would, In fact, usually they'd say, write 550 or, or more, and they would, if, depending on what space they had, they'd take out or add, you know, or some, a kit. rarely would they ask me to put more in. Magazines hmm. would. Um, oh, magazines would. Magazines would. would. What's yeah, an example of a like, magazine that said, I will Marathon let's... and Beyond Magazine, which doesn't exist anymore, hmm. but, but they would always tell, oh, we want a 2,000 word article and then they'd come back can you do 3,000 you know and so hmm. they'd want me to embellish what I was writing I'm like okay I, and I would um, but Owen was just you wanted you, what the last thing you want is for them to put their words into your column mm-hmm. you know because usually like that's not what I would have said you know or whatever so so he was really good about just getting it right I mean making sure you know I had the commas in the right place and, yeah. and saying or maybe he might Suggest to me this might be better said this way. I'm like, yes, you're, and like nine times out of ten, he was absolutely right. This was a better way to say a particular line or a paragraph. You did, know. did that paper use a certain manual of style that you remember that was like kind of this, the book or the how? Mm, that I don't know. Chicago or. Yeah. 
But many huh. times they say sports is like the easiest columns to read. That, it's a myth, though, right? You know, I mean, that they would say they no. they gear it to like a, a se- sixth or seventh grade education. That's right. You know, so so maybe I was lucky that way. <laughs> well, spo- you know, what was some, fun, some funny uh, sports columnists who... The obvious, I mean, the 70s, wasn't the 70s the era of the sports writer? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I mean, not that I would read many bowling columns, but, you know, but certainly, I mean, I mean, bowling was big in Detroit, so we yeah. have a whole column, columns right at, about bowling every week, you know. Every week. Every week, yeah. Who was the, bo- who was the bowling writer? <sighs> oh, man. What was he like? It's been 20 years. Yeah. It's been 20 years now, so I can't years? remember his name now, but, but, he, but he was a full-time writer, so he was, and I'm... I'm, most of these guys, they might write their particular column, but they helped with other columns, too. Is it Frank Gifford? Who the heck? Wasn't there a book called The Sports Writer? Uh, that may have been Frank Gifford? I don't know. My uh, brain is... The football player? Well, no, he became a writer, didn't he? I mean, there, was some, there were pe- different yeah. um, uh, athletes that become sports writers. They became sports writers. But, I, you know, I don't know. It's, um, yeah. Do you like movies about... So, so do, you, do you like North Dallas 40 and Friday Night Lights and... Do you I watch like Friday Night Lights? I like a good story. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a horror film, you know, like a Stephen, <laughs> like a Stephen King film. Yeah. You know, so if it's a good story, then I enjoy the film. Yeah. Well. So. Yeah. Excuse me. You're right yeah. about that. Yeah. So that's um, what I, I want to, and I like to be entertained. I have a hard time with films that are really depressing. Yeah. You know, or, so, uh, yeah, I'd, I, I, I don't want to walk away and feel like, oh man, life's sad, you know. <laughs> and there are films like that out there. Oh, especially you know? now. Yeah, especially, especially now. Oh, oh the worst is uh, my that wife and I. Every year we go to the Academy Award nominated short films, and yeah. my friends call them the slit your wrist films, you know, because yeah. <laughs> last year's were so bad, you know. And unfortunately, they were all about children too. Oh, that's hard. And just gut wrenching yeah. horror stories, and like, why? Why do you want to film stuff like that? You know, I want to. I go to movies because I want to be entertained. You want to kind of, you know, not necessarily want to leave you know, life's behind, troubles behind. So you really want Britney runs a marathon in a way? Yeah, I thought it was fun. I, and yeah. plus, I, I like uplifting stories. Even going yeah, to plays, which that is, even going to a yeah. play like Come From Away is one of my favorite plays about 9/11 when all these planes yeah. that get diverted to Newfoundland and how the town gets behind. You know all these people, and yeah. and you know what are they going to do? Five thousand people show up in a town of three thousand. How do you yeah. handle that? And it's a beautiful musical. So I, I like to see things that are uplifting, yeah. which is why I write talk about motivation and courage. That's I right. I want to uplift people. I want to people to be the best they can be. You know that's what I care about. I want to do positive things for people. That's a great way to get. We're getting near the close of this yeah. fantastic show, but what comes to your mind? You, that you know of, you have given a speech or you've gotten somebody to do a 360-degree transformation. Somebody, I mean, what comes to mind? Somebody who's really unfit or somebody that never walked or whatever, and then who comes to mind? Somebody that, you know, you really, you know for a fact that you turn their life around and they Uh, become... Perfect question. A neighbor, actually. (laughs) Across the street, and I lived in a little one-street cul-de-sac, and she would ride her bike round and round the cul-de-sac, okay. which is all of like maybe, you know, 300 yards or 400 yards, you know, not much. And that's, and she was, and I lived literally on this parkway that she could run with this beautiful parkway where she could ride her bike, but she was, I don't know, afraid to whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and, 
Um, and I said, no, you know what? You're going to be fine. You know, there's so many people out there. You're not going to have to worry. You need to get out. You need to get out of this rut mm-hmm. and get out and do it. And, and she would run a little bit on her treadmill in the basement every morning before mm-hmm. she was a school teacher. Interesting. And she came to one of my talks. Oh, boy. And as now, she just ran the Monumental Marathon in Indiana a month ago. She's run a couple of them now. In fact, I went out and helped her with one of her training runs. And I said, I'll run. She's doing a 20-mile training run. I said, well, I'll do the yeah. last five with you. So I drove out there. You know, We ran together, and I, and I inspired her and encouraged her. And now and she lost a lot of weight and just is more fit than she's ever been. And, and, and you'll see her post on Facebook, and she's yeah. like, my life has changed. Interesting. Know? And she and she said she'd see me running past her house like every day, and then said, "All right, if this guy can do it, why can't I?" Mm. You know, so so well, yeah. it's you, wonderful to see some li- somebody's life really change for the better, and and very confident, especially for women. I think women once they start experiencing running a race, they feel confident, you know, mm-hmm. and they feel really good about themselves that they can do something they didn't think they could do. Well, Doug Curtis, that's a good way to end. Uh, I always hate saying goodbye to people, but I'm. Yeah. But all things must come to an end. And but we'll cross gonna, paths. We'll we live cross, in a small little we live in a small town, town that, we, that we love, so we'll be but, crossing um, paths. But uh, we really enjoyed having you on Journey Even as Thief. Doug Curtis, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Much. Thank you.